Crazy Talk is part of the AudioWorks Podcast Network. Other podcasts on the network include the Five Film Death Punch podcast, a twice-monthly interview exploring guests' five favourite films, and the AudioWorks podcast, long-form interviews with interesting, successful and funny people. You can find out more at audio-works.co.uk. And welcome to Crazy Talk, a podcast all about mental health. My name is Meg and I'll be your spiritual guide through the mental health minefield. This is episode 12 and anyone who knows me will know that 12 is actually my lucky number. So this one is going to be all about me. Just kidding. Uh, this fortnight's episode. Um, well, I've... I've been getting a lot of feedback actually over the last few weeks about the podcast and the positive impact that it's having for a lot of people, which is really, really great. It's really good to hear. I know this, like, it's just a podcast. We're just talking about mental health. It's not a big deal, but it's not something that is spoken about enough. And I'm just glad that it's having a positive impact for some people. But um, in particular, I keep hearing about how beneficial people found the medication episode. So I decided uh, it's time to do another kind of educational episode where we hone in on a topic related to mental health and just learn a little bit more about it. So we've covered medication uh, and this time I'm going to focus on therapy. So different kinds of therapy, what they are, how you can access them. And also just a little bit of my personal experience because the three types of therapy that I'm going to talk about are all things that I've tried to varying levels of success. Um, I am just one person though and everybody is different when it comes to therapy so it's worth taking my experiences with a pinch of salt and not letting them influence you too much. Uh, I think that's enough of an intro anyway, so let's get stuck in. This is Crazy Talk, episode 12, all about therapy. So the three types of therapy that I'm going to talk about are typically offered to people with um, anxiety and depression, but they can be used for other conditions too. And I'll kind of tell you which conditions they are when I talk about each kind of therapy. So I'm going to start where I actually started in my journey through therapy. And it's a kind of therapy that tends to be offered on the NHS, um, particularly to people with anxiety, although the waiting lists are horrendous, but I will get to that later. And it's called CBT, which stands for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy. Sounds like quite a scary thing. I think anything with words in it like cognitive can be a bit daunting. But research actually shows that 
this form of therapy does have a pretty high success rate. Some sources report up to 85%. So it's definitely something worth trying, particularly if you suffer with anxiety or depression. So what is cognitive behavioural therapy? Well, the short definition as described by the NHS is that CBT is a talking therapy aimed at changing the way you think and behave. So essentially correcting destructive thinking patterns, just getting your brain back on the right track. CBT focuses on the development of personal coping strategies that target solving specific problems and changing unhelpful thinking patterns. So unlike psychoanalytic therapies, for example, um, like talking therapies, which I'll cover later, uh, which kind of focus on identifying problems in your subconscious and then forming a diagnosis based on that, CBT is more action-oriented, meaning that it's used to treat specific problems related to an already diagnosed mental disorder. And the therapist's role is to assist the client or patient um, in finding effective strategies to address the identified goals and decrease symptoms of the disorder. So, for example, your therapist might get you to fill out a sheet or make a list that identifies um, an unhelpful thought that you have and then a thought that you can replace that with to kind of get your mind back on track. So a typical CBT program would consist of face-to-face sessions between a patient and a therapist made up of six to 18 sessions of around an hour, uh, each with a gap of um, one to three weeks between sessions. Uh, This initial program then might be followed by some booster sessions, for instance, um, after one month and three months, just to kind of ensure that you're still on the right track. And a good thing about CBT, actually, is that it can also be done digitally. So like over the Internet, you can go back and forth with your therapist using an instant messaging service, for example. Um, And that allows the therapy to be a bit more accessible to people who maybe like can't leave the house or can't travel very far which is pretty good one of the best things about cbt though is that there are little to no side effects from taking part in it whether it works for you or not you typically won't get worse by trying it so it's worth at least giving it a shot cbt is said to be very effective in the treatment of mild anxiety and depression Uh, but it's also shown to be beneficial for people suffering from personality disorders, eating disorders, substance abuse, um, and in some cases, even more severe conditions like schizophrenia. Now, like I said, CBT is something that tends to be offered first. Well, it tends to be like the first thing you're offered on the NHS when treating people who are showing signs of anxiety and depression. Um, But unfortunately, waiting lists are very long. Um, They're simply just isn't enough funding in the NHS for the treatment of mental health conditions. Like, that's the bottom line. So resources are very limited. And if you listen to episode two of the podcast with Keris Vaughan, then you'll know that she waited nine months to actually get a session of CBT, which is ridiculous, because if you're going through a crisis, you need support then and there. You don't want to wait nine months. Um, It's worse in big towns and cities where there are more people, but... Because my personal 
uh, like family surgery is in a small village in the countryside, I actually didn't have to wait very long at all for CBT. In fact, I think I started almost immediately after seeing my GP. Um, this was about eight or nine years ago, so my recollection of the actual detail of the sessions isn't perfect. Um, but what I can tell you is that, unfortunately, CBT just did not work for me. Um, that's not to say that it doesn't work for anyone. It definitely does. I mean, the research shows that it does, but I'm quite a stubborn person and I can't, uh, I can't really trick my brain into changing the way it works. And for that reason, I think a behavioral-based therapy just didn't work for me. Now, since my initial experience with CBT, I've had therapists who've tried to kind of integrate it into their treatment of me as well, but it just still didn't work. I don't know whether my initial experience of it not working has kind of made me a bit biased and unwilling to like try it again, but I know my brain, I know the way I think, and trying to correct behaviours trying to correct behaviours in my mind is not something that I can do in this way. Uh, but like I said, there really aren't any re reported side effects of CBT and it's something you can access through the NHS, you know, even though there are really long waiting lists. So I'd definitely at least give it a try, go in there with an open mind. It might work really well for you and could potentially help you to avoid medicating yourself um, if you are at the start of your kind of mental health journey. Uh, now this this is a really brief summary of CBT. I've just sort of skimmed the surface, but if you do want to learn more about it, then head to nhs.uk forward slash conditions forward slash cognitive hyphen behavioral hyphen therapy. So from CBT, I personally moved on to just standard talking therapy. Uh, some people might call this psychoanalysis, which sounds terrifying. Uh, some people might call it counselling. Uh, I guess depending on whether you see a psychiatrist, so that's somebody with medical training who has specialised in psychiatry, or a psychologist... So that's somebody who maybe has a degree in psychology. Uh, it's a little bit confusing, I know, but just think of a psychiatrist as being someone who is more focused on the brain and a psychologist as someone who is more focused on the mind. Um, there are some differences between psychotherapy and counselling. So psychotherapy tends to go a bit deeper, um, you know, looking at your thoughts, feelings and beliefs, which may involve discussing past events such as those from your childhood. A psychotherapist will help you consider how your personality and life experiences influence your current thoughts, uh, feelings, relationships and behaviour. So this, this understanding should then enable you to deal with difficult situations more effectively. Counselling, however... It's more about just talking about your current problems and feelings in an environment that's supposed to feel safe and dependable. And of course, it's totally confidential. And your counsellor is somebody who has to be impartial. So it's different to just talking to a friend or relative. 
counsellors are trained to listen with empathy so they put themselves in your shoes and help you to come to terms with the way that you're feeling and because counselling is such a broad type of treatment it can be used for a wide range of conditions from anxiety depression personality and eating disorders to PTSD OCD and even drug uh, and substance addiction so counselling it aims to help you deal with and overcome issues that are causing emotional pain or making you feel uncomfortable. It can provide a safe and regular space for you to talk and explore difficult feelings. And the counsellor is there to just support you and respect your views. They won't usually give advice, uh, but they will help you find your own insights into uh, an understanding of your problems. Now, talking about these emotions and feelings can be quite painful and it may make you feel worse in the short term but if you stick with it and it works for you you will notice a difference it just requires commitment and also a level of bravery I guess to be able to talk through your issues and give yourself and your counsellor the time to deal with them. So what is a typical counselling session like? Well Counselling can take place face-to-face, on the phone, online, or in some cases even using a specialised computer programme. During your counselling sessions, you'll be encouraged to express your feelings and emotions. By discussing your concerns with you, the counsellor can help you gain a better understanding of your feelings and thought processes, as well as identifying ways of finding your own solutions to problems. It can actually be it can actually be a great relief to share your worries and fears with someone who just acknowledges your feelings and is able to help you reach a positive solution. A good counsellor will focus on you and listen without judging or criticizing you. They might help you find out a way for you to deal with your problems, but they shouldn't tell you what to do. The most important thing is that for counselling to be effective, you need to build a trusting and safe relationship with your counsellor. So it's important that when you find a counsellor who works for you, you stick with them. It, if you feel that you and your counsellor aren't getting on or that you're not getting the most out of your sessions, it's really important that you discuss that with them or you can look for another counsellor. Now, counselling is something that can be accessed through the NHS, but again, waiting lists can be painfully long. Paying for counselling privately can be pricey, particularly if you live in a big city, but actually many workplaces, uh, schools, universities and some charities actually offer counselling free of charge. So that's definitely worth looking into if you can't afford the expense or can't afford to wait. Like I was at um, Leicester University yesterday playing uh, playing a festival with my band and almost in every single toilet cubicle there was a poster advertising like free counselling and free talking therapy just through the university which is great so free support is out there you just sort of have to look for it. That being said um, I'm lucky enough to be able to afford private counselling but in doing that it's taught me some quite important lessons that I'd like to pass on to you. So of all the therapies I've tried, counselling has without a doubt been the most effective, but it didn't always seem that way. 
I saw several different therapists before I found one who really worked for me. And I actually very nearly gave up before that happened. If you see a counsellor and don't feel like it's working for you, don't be discouraged. Think of it like dating. How many times is the first person you go on a date with the perfect match for you? It's pretty much a rarity. And it's the same with counselling. When I found the right right counsellor for me, she really made a positive impact on my life. And she actually just helped me come to terms with the way I was feeling. We built a really strong rapport, which is really important. I really trusted her and felt safe in that environment. And she she just seemed really invested in my well-being, which really helped. Um, it didn't cure me, and counselling will never do that, but it helped me to be okay with the fact that I wasn't perfect. I think acceptance is a really important part of your mental health journey, and a counsellor, especially a good counsellor, can really help you get there. Another good thing about finding a great counsellor is that I know she's there if I ever need support again. One of the most important things I think in dealing with a mental health condition is developing for yourself like a little toolkit that you can rely on when things get tricky. So my toolkit consists of a network of loved ones to support me, medication and a counsellor that's there if and when I need it. So yeah, I definitely recommend um, adding counselling to your kind of toolkit. Um, But I guess in the same way that CBT didn't really work for me, don't be discouraged if counselling doesn't immediately work for you. You know, it's not for everybody. And there are other therapies out there that you can try. So the last type of therapy that I want to touch on is a bit of a wild card, to say the least. Um, it's something that I've tried, though, so I can offer a bit of insight into it, a bit of a first-hand experience, although it is a, a bit of a dis- divisive kind of therapy, and it's hypnotherapy. Um, now, if you've seen the recent movie Get Out, you might be absolutely terrified of hypnotherapy. Um And actually, it's been represented in the media and in TV and film in a lot of different ways, probably most of which aren't entirely accurate. You know, a hypnotherapist is not going to make you walk around like a chicken or hand over your bank details or anything. Um, In a controlled environment, hypnotherapy can basically just be used to uh, bring you to a state of suggestibility that allows the hypnotherapist to correct abnormal thought patterns I guess that sounds really horrible but uh, I don't really know what other way to put it so um hypnotherapy is typically used um in the treatment of addiction whether that's smoking uh, or gambling uh, but it can also be used to help actually it can also be used to help with the symptoms of IBS which I don't really understand but that's another topic uh, and skin conditions like eczema Uh, But most relevant to us is that it can be used in the treatment of anxiety and depression. It's worth mentioning very early on that hypnotherapy is not advised for anyone suffering from a personality disorder or any form of psychosis. It can make these conditions worse, so avoid this if you fall into that category. 
Hypnosis is widely promoted as a treatment for various long-term conditions and for breaking certain habits. Um, This is despite the fact that there's no strong evidence to support these uses. However, hypnosis does seem to have an effect, though scientists disagree about how it works. Some experts see it as a relaxation technique that uses the power of suggestion or relies on uh, like the placebo effect, basically. Uh, Now, research has shown there isn't a huge amount of of evidence to support hypnotherapy's success in treating mental health conditions. However, um, when used in conjunction with other therapies like CBT, it can improve your chances of success. So there's no pocket watch swinging or anything like that involved in hypnotherapy treatments. Anxiety UK describe hypnosis as follows. Hypnosis allows the subject to experience often quite deep levels of relaxation and so helps to reduce levels of stress and anxiety. It is often used alongside classic behavioural therapies such as systematic desensitisation. Two important elements of this therapy are the ability to clearly imagine something that makes you feel anxious and then to attain a deeply relaxed state. Hypnosis helps to achieve both of these more easily and quickly than many other forms of treatment. Now, Anxiety UK do offer hypnosis as a service, so they may be slightly biased, um, especially in that last sentence, but the fact that a nationwide mental health charity support this type of therapy may actually be a good indicator. Now, from my personal experience with hypnotherapy, uh, it's not actually something that I'd ever considered trying before, um, but it was recommended to me by two people who'd seen the same hypnotherapist and had nothing but good things to say about it. So it kind of piqued my interest, uh, and I figured, why not? You know, I might as well give it a try. So I went into my first session admittedly not with a totally open mind uh, as I was a little skeptical Uh, but the lady seemed really nice and um, I settled in and she started kind of lulling me into a state of relaxation but that's kind of as far as it went for me. I never went under uh, and don't feel like the therapy had much of an impact on me at all. I actually felt really bad because the lady was really, really nice, but it just didn't work for me. It may be a case that some people just can't be hypnotised, and maybe I'm one of those people, but I didn't feel like I even came close, to be honest. It has been said, though, that you can only be hypnotised if you fully believe in it, and I don't, so maybe I was doomed from the start. Hypnotherapy isn't offered on the NHS due to lack of evidence of its effectiveness and it can be very expensive privately. I'm talking like 50 to 90 pounds a session. So in my opinion, it's only worth trying if you can comfortably afford it and can approach it with a totally open mind. Uh, If you are intrigued by it though and want to learn more, hypnosis.me.uk has some good information that you can check out. So I've covered three types of therapy uh, and there are many more out there, but I'd say these are the three most accessible and the three that you're most likely to experience uh, if you're going through a mental health journey of your own. Like I said, the personal experiences that I've recounted are just my own and every individual is different, but it's good to know that there is help out there 
and uh, any of the therapies that I've spoken out could work for you or someone you love who's going through a hard time. we've come to the end of this episode I know it was quite a short one but I hope you found it interesting and helpful if you want to find out more or need help or advice then head over to our Facebook page at crazy talk the podcast where you can find details for the likes of mind and the Samaritans who are always there to help you can also email me at crazy talk the podcast at gmail.com Don't forget to like, share, subscribe and rate the podcast. It's all helpful stuff and will help us reach more people. I'll be back again in a fortnight. Until then, take care, guys.